As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the Full 60 featuring Craig Custance and presented by The Athletic. Each week, we'll dive into the biggest stories in hockey, while bringing in unique voices to entertain and explain all aspects of the game. Hey, this is Craig, and welcome to this week's episode of The Full 60. And this week, finally, the triumphant return of Daryl Belfry to The Full 60. After his episode, gosh, Daryl, how long ago was it? Like two years ago, maybe? No, it's been a while. I think it was two years, yeah. Two years ago, you were on this podcast, and... It remains the episode I get asked about the most. People want to, you know, they, there was a there was a period of time where it kind of disappeared from the archives as we were switching over to the athletic, and people wanted, an, and then people wanted a, a transcript of it, and there was so much for people to learn in that episode because you were so articulate in breaking down, um, you know, your strategies as a skill coach um, that smartly. Rather than letting me get any um, juice out of it, you wrote a book, and, and, and everything that we talked about, for the most part, in that episode is in a book. The book comes out this week, or is out this week, yes. called Belfry Hockey, Strategies to Teach the World's Best Athletes, forward by Patrick Kane, of course, who you've worked with for a long time, and um, the athletic Scott Powers assisted in the writing. So first of all, Daryl, congratulations on a book. I know how hard that is, and you you have to feel good right now. It's, you know, I've, I was always thinking that I should do it. I've had a lot of inquiries over the years about, you know, talking about my process and people looking to like model my path and, and alike. And, you know, it's just not something that I felt like you could do in like whatever, 128 characters or whatever on Twitter all the time. So <laughs> right. I knew it was something that I wanted to do, but, you know, it was trying to find the right guy to write with me because in my mind, what I, when I, when I can't write, like type as fast as I can talk or think. And so I was trying to, I needed somebody who could convert like an audio file. Like in my way, I wanted to, I wanted to just do like an audio file on the various topics that I thought were important to include. But then like that doesn't really like when you transcribe that, of course, like that doesn't come out to like the written word very well. And so I needed somebody to be able to convert what I was saying, but then still leave my voice. So the, the one part that was 
that was challenging was I, and I had said this from the outset, I'm like, I want somebody who has worked with me for a long time to read the book and hear my voice when they're reading, which I, I, for whatever reason, I thought that was going to be difficult to do. And as it turned out, um, there's professional people who can do that. And so <laughs> unbeknownst to me, it was way easier process. Like you say, like it must've been difficult. It was actually like, I found it pretty easy from my perspective. Like I, like I said, I just shot these audio files, like 45 minutes to an hour of an audio file. I sent it over to Scott. A couple of days later, he pitches it back to me and I'm reading it and then off it goes. And it was like, wow, if it was, if I knew it was this easy, I might've done it earlier. Like it was pretty cool. Really cool. <laughs> I wonder if I get Scott out here to ask how easy the process was. Oh, he, what he'd say. He, he says I was. I've been in his head for months. Like all he hears is my oh. voice. Like just going playing in his head. I'm like that is dangerous. Not good. <laughs> it's 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 really good. And uh, you know, um, as I was reading it, I, I, and I want to start here because I, it it is so. Um, detailed and you really get into the weeds and um and so i'm i'm wondering you know i'm not a skills coach right and nor will i ever be but i I found it fascinating because i'm reading it through the lens of what can i what can i steal from daryl and how he operates and how he builds his skill set into my own life but but i like as you were writing it who who are you imagining is the target audience here are you saying hey i this is i i just want skills coaches to read this or i want everybody to read this I, I feel like I'm a teacher by trade and that my subject happens to be hockey. And so what, what I wanted to convey is my real skill and the reason or my separator or the reason why I was able to like achieve uh, the different levels in my career was because I, was a t- I learned to teach. That's what that's what the the accelerator was, and so when I was writing this, I wanted to say like obviously my teaching. I, I was never a school teacher. I'm not trained, not educated in in teaching whatsoever. But but I wanted. I know that everyone's going to teach somebody something at some point. You're going to be in that situation, and I just felt like yes, hockey is the only thing that I really know, and so that's obviously the best subject. But there's so many transferable skills here that you could apply to any sport an actual teacher might read it and something might resonate with them so i wanted it to go across all the mediums because like i just didn't feel like it was exclusively a hockey book even though a lot all the examples are hockey the approach i do think you can take and use in other in other areas so yeah, the skill coaches I think will will be interested in trying to trying to understand it. Perhaps some coaches as well um, of different sports. But I'm also hoping that just uh, other people, whether it be like I said, teachers or others, or business people that are having to teach staff or something, that they might like it or see something in here as well. Because there's nothing like teaching the best people too. Like there's some interesting parts about what that really is like, which is a unique. Like I have a unique like path and a unique experience, a set of experiences that not very many people have had the opportunity to do. So I feel a little bit of a responsibility to share some of that. So I'm very interested actually to see what types of people from the different walks that it resonates with. 
So let's start there because you are you are a teacher. I've seen you in action. Like I've watched. You know, I spent some time in Florida with you last, which seems like forty years ago now, based on everything that's happened since. Um, but you know, I've seen this in action. But what I'm seeing is the finished product, right? As or not the finished product, but a, you know, a well developed um, product that that you have honed over the years. What was that process like? You know, you're not like you said. You're not. You didn't go to school for education. You, you basically had to learn what worked for you. So what was your journey like in terms of discovering what kind of teacher you wanted to be? Well, I think the f- most fascinating part was I was chasing a goal that had not really been created. Like when I started, there were no, there wasn't skill coaches. There were, there were skating coaches. Um, and that was about the extent of it. You, you had coaches, you had uh, power skating instructors. But you didn't really have like quote unquote like skill coaches and so when i started it was a bit like you know trying to reinvent the wheel and um or try to blaze a new trail it wasn't even reinventing a wheel there was no wheel it was right. it was you're blazing right. a new trail and so you can imagine like or picture this you're like 19 20 years old you can't skate you have no formal education you um, are a little bit like you look like you're 12. Um, <laughs> you, you know, you have all these things, right? And then you just announce, hey, like I'm a skills coach. Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna teach somebody to do something. And then you arrive on the scene and you start doing things way different than everyone else. Mm-hmm. Can you, you can just imagine what that's met with. It's certainly not met with like open arms to say, oh, hey, this guy's different. Like, let's bring him in and let's see what he's doing. <laughs> it's like this guy, he needs to go. Like, we got to get rid of this guy. So I had one guy who was like, no, this isn't going to happen. And that was my mentor who at first said he was going to stay with me for like to kind of blow this over and uh help me kind of uh get you know get started and then he was gonna like bow out and he stayed with me for like 15 years after that which and so his contribution was he's like listen kid like you have certainly a lot of ambition and you have a lot of really interesting ideas none of which i know what you're talking about i've been in hockey my whole life i've never seen anybody talk about these things or do these things so i don't even know where you're getting all this I'm not going to talk about drills. All I want to do is teach you how to teach. Mm. And so his job, or which he just assumed himself, was to <laughs> basically protect me, build a mm-hmm. bubble, and then of, around me that allowed me to kind of do what I do. And then uh, he would he would took me on this journey to learn how to teach, how to connect with kids, and be. And, and find a way to do it. And so that became this like self-discovery thing. So it wasn't like, you know, there wasn't like there was a book out there that, oh yeah, I'll just do this or just do that. It was, it was very interesting. And he, he would say, it was like, you know, you have this like very oppositional personality, like you should use that. And because I would challenge everything, you know, like, oh, there's a, uh, there's a coach down the street and like, he produces the best results in the area. Okay, let's go see what he does. Okay, now we're watching him. Well, like what separates this guy from the next guy? Like I got a thousand questions, right? And then I go watch everyone else and I'm trying to decipher like what the differences are. And then I'm trying to figure out, okay, like where's the area of opportunity for me? Because I got to be different and better. 
I can't be like the same here at all because he played a lot. He's coached a lot. I'm 20 years old and look like I'm 12 and can't skate. So that's, I got to do something here that's different. And by Bud taking me on this path of learning to teach, that really was the, the ultimate separator. And, and it, was fa- it was a fascinating journey. So I guess I don't want to get too far in because I guess we're making some assumptions that the listener is familiar with you. And if you're not familiar with Daryl, to understand the how far he's come from showing up and not being able to do anything. I mean, this is a guy that's working with the the best of the best in the sport. Like this isn't, you know, someone running local hockey camps. I mean, you're you're working with Patrick Kane, John Tavares, Austin Matthews. Haley Wickenheiser. I mean, I, when I was down there, it was Hillary Knight, like the the elite U.S. and, and uh, Canadian women's national players, and and it's it's. I, I laughed. You know, that's what I'm seeing. You know, a, a sheet of ice full of superstars in the sport, and you're saying I just showed up and decided I was going to do this. Where did that confidence come from? Like what? And the ideas. Like you, hockey doesn't tend to embrace people like that, right? Like. No. Uh, how were you not spit out five seconds in? There was a lot of attempt too, for sure. Um, yeah. But I had someone who believed in me when he could see, he could see that I was an ambitious kid who needed just a little bit of time. And and then he was curious more of himself to see like, where's this gonna go? Like he's so different. He does things so different, he talks different. Like I just, he was curious. And so that's where it starts. Like you need somebody like that. Like I, there's no chance I would have survived had I not had somebody somebody do that. And then where it came from was I didn't know because I didn't play. I didn't know anything. So I have to learn everything. I have no biases. I have no preconceived information. So I got to go in and I have to study. So I was committed to studying. Like I'm talking two VCRs dubbing clips from like Hockey Night in Canada to the next. Like, how does this guy skate? Okay, like where's his elbow? Where's his hand? What? Okay, that's that guy. What about the next guy? Like, does he do it different? Does he do it the same? What about this? What about that? Asking question, question. Then I would go on the ice and try to build drills to teach myself how to do it. So I became initially my best, my own best student. Because I taught myself to skate. I taught myself to handle the puck. I taught myself to shoot. And I did it through the video of watching this stuff. And then I had these like clients, quote unquote, that were just kids that, you know, were looking for like at that time, like private lessons, right? And so this was like just a test tube for me. Like I just started trying stuff. And I'm like, hey, like I watch these games and I'm and I'm seeing this, but I don't see anybody teaching this kind of stuff. Like when I go watch these practices, I see like kind of like you see one, you've seen kind of them all. There's different people that have different presence. They have different ways in which they they command the attention of the group. But by and large, what they're presenting is about the same. It's very similar. So I'm like, well, I can't do that. I got to do something different. So I, I got to teach myself to skate. I got to do teach myself all the skills. And then I got to try to apply that. So I kind of would teach myself, kind of figure out, okay, what worked for me. And then I would use those drills to then teach other people and and then see where it goes. And, and then I was all constantly like evaluating myself all the time. Did that work? 
No, how could it be better? No, ask questions with the player, you know? And I, so then it became like this, like really like give and take kind of thing rather than me being like, oh, this guy is the teacher, at least at the beginning. And then of course, when I right. got into teams, then I became like a raving lunatic. And then that was a whole <laughs> other thing, you know? So yeah, like it was, it was just a path of trying like a lot of trial and error and having people like indulge me and allow me to go through it. And then the results started to come. The kids started to get better. And so then there was like, wait a minute, maybe there's something here. Let's see it. Like, let's come back again next week. Let's see it again and see if something happens. And that's kind of how it, how, it, how it went. What were some of the early concepts when you're saying, hey, I had a bunch of ideas and people were like, I've never heard of this. Like, what are, you, what are you talking about there? Like, what kind of concepts were you discovering that you wanted to test out? So, I was, like I said, I was very oppositional. So, one of, the, one of the very first things was everybody was due, would start the practice by skating the kids without the puck. So, everything was started without the puck. 10, 15, 20, depending on the coach and the day. It was at least 10 minutes, could be 30 minutes of just edge control and skating and you know line to line and all, all that kind of stuff right but the the thought process and then when you went and saw the 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 power skating people they would do the whole the whole hour would be no pucks there wouldn't be a puck ever on the ice and i'm like listen i i don't think this is very fun at all i'm trying to do it myself i don't think it's way more fun with a puck so i'm like let's try this with a puck let's just see I'm going to do all of my skating. So I, I'm, I'm the type of person where it's like, if you're doing everything all one way, I'm going to do it all the other way. Like I'm not going in the middle. I'm going two extremes. So I just said, I'm going to do it all with a puck and let's see what happens. Well, of course, the kids are like, man, like if I'm going to do power skating, I'm going to do it with a puck. Like that's way more fun. Now, I didn't know anything about power skating, but now the pressure's on. Because now it's like, okay, you got a bunch of kids are looking at you like, hey, like this is fun with the puck, but like I still got to get better too, right? So you need to be able to teach me something. So that was one really good one uh, that I that I really started with. And then uh, the other thing, the other thing that I did was I did a lot of things where I would um, I would try to do things in groups. So one of the things I noticed was. Whenever I would watch a coach, like a local minor hockey coach, he would, you know, he'd, he'd start off the drill with 20 minutes of skating or whatever. Then the next drill was like, okay, we got better get the goalies warmed up. Okay, then after this, like there's some dissection of the game before. Oh, like the power, uh, the breakout was no good. Right. The forecheck was no. So then they go into all that stuff, and then that's that's the end, right? But one drill had no relationship to the next. It was like everything was segmented. It was 10 minutes on this drill. That's done. Move on to the next. And there's no relationship between one and the next. And I'm like, I, I, I know myself trying to learn this stuff. Like it's way better if I do like come at it from like two or three different ways. So I started to incorporate that into my, into my work. So I would do like at the beginning, I did a lot of overspeed. I read, uh, I read uh, Jack Blatherwick's book on overspeed training. So I became like Mr. Overspeed because one, it was really fast. The kids had to fly around, pass the sweat test every time, and and the kids were at like Mach three, so it was good because then all of us, I was like, okay, this is basically like skate them in one circle one way and one circle the other. So the whole thing's figure eights. So 
how do I make this interesting where we're going to do this for like 20 minutes of figure eights? I got to do it. Well, I can, I can manipulate the size of the circles. I can manipulate where we are on the rink. I can manipulate the spacing. I can relate it to a game in some way, like whether it's cycling or something. So I would do these things in a run. And where that really resonated with me was there was one guy in, not in my hometown, but a couple, a couple towns over who was very good hockey coach. And he was also a school teacher. He was like grade six school teacher, science teacher, whatever. So I'm like, I got to go watch this guy because obviously he is an elite teacher of hockey. So I'm going to go watch him. So I go watch one practice and I see him do pretty much the same thing as kind of everybody else. But he has good presence and he can move things around. His transitions between drills were really good. He was really slick at his ability to move the ice. But I didn't really see him teach anything. And I'm like, here's a guy who's a trained teacher. This is what he does for a living. He understands progression. He understands how to move content, but he doesn't do anything in groups. He doesn't do like things like one, two, three. He doesn't do it like that. He does it like everybody else. So he's not teaching, he's coaching. So how, like, how does this work? Like, how's this guy a professional, trained teacher, now he goes in an environment where he's teaching kids, like his coaching kids who are like 11 or 12 years old, which in my mind, like that's still like a teaching environment and right. he's not teaching. So I'm like, obviously there's a disconnect here or these two things are different in some way. You're, you're, I had thought they were the same. Coaching, teaching were the right. same. They're not, they're yeah. different. So I'm like, okay, hold on a second. Like I'm still gonna do what I'm doing. And because it's different than this guy and he's considered one of the best guys. So I'm going to try to do it different and see if I can produce better results. That's kind of how, like, that was always my approach to stuff like that. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily with 24 seven us based live customer service from discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. You heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Um, you get your, I, I didn't realize this, or maybe I just forgotten. Um, in terms of clients that you're working with, Nathan Horton seemed to be the first big kind of break or oh. like how did you get involved with Nathan and, and what did you guys learn from each other in that process? So the story of how it all started was was just like talk about a break. So this guy was in Buffalo and he had hired me when to do his uh type to teach like private lessons to his son. And uh and uh he's like hey like there's gonna be like the new rage is summer hockey. And uh, so it, it was just kind of getting started at that time. And he's like, I want to put together a summer team, but I want my kid to be the worst player on the team. So I need you to go around the area and try to find every kid on this team has to be better than my guy. And I'm like, okay, I can do that. He's like, uh, and so I, you know, I start going out on the quote unquote, like recruiting trail. And I'm watching right. like all the kids at this age group. And uh, I said to him, I'm like, so like, what's the hook? Like, they're not going to come to me like for any, like, what's the reason? Like, what's the reason? Yeah, why, why? are they joining like, this why team? Why are they joining yeah. this team? He's like, here's your hook. You tell them they're going to play with the area's best players. And 
I'll pay for all the tournaments. Like I'll 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 pay for all the tournaments. No one has to pay for anything, and I'll buy some training ice for you, and maybe you can like convert them into like uh, clients. I'm like, okay, that sounds like a good deal. <laughs> That's a pretty good. So deal I right go there. out and I go and get them. So I get like, and one of the kids that we got was Nathan Horton. He was the he was the best player in the in the age group. So I get him and we get him on this on the team and. Uh, my buddy Bud, who was with me at the time, and he's like, I said, we're going to coach these guys. And he says, oh, no, you're not. Mm-hmm. I was like, what do you mean? He's like, you aren't coaching these guys. You see that kid there? You're coaching him. Everything you do has to be around that kid. Make sure when he leaves, he wants to come back. And then all the rest of these kids will want to come back because he's the best player. So... At first, that's what it was. So now I'm like, okay, so what am I going to do? Like, I got to teach this guy. Like, he's way ahead of me. Like, my ability to teach and his <laughs> skill set's way better. So now I'm dug in. Like, every waking hour is about how can I make Nathan Horton better today. And so the thing was, is the re- what one of the things that made him so special was he had such an elite athleticism to acquire skill. So I could go there with something that I felt like he wasn't going to be as good at, and I would present it to him, and he would be like, one rep, two reps, third rep, he'd be like, is this it? And I'd be like, uh, yeah, that's it. Three reps, like that's 30 <laughs> seconds. I'm here for an hour. Like what am I going to do for the rest right. of this 59 minutes? And yeah. and so I, I had to come there with – armed with all this information about how to make him better, how to challenge him, whether it was challenge him with speed, challenge him with pressure, challenge him with new skills, anything I could do. I ended up like I ended up being able to inadvertently through that process, I followed him through his entire minor hockey career from the time he was like 10, 11 years old. And I took him all the way and was like riding shotgun right to the NHL. So at the end of the day, like I just had one experience. And then along that way, we also had all these other kids who were also really good, who also went and played in the NHL. So I got a chance to see all their development as well because they were there going along with us. So while Nathan was the one that kind of got there first, the rest of the kids that followed, he kind of pulled them all with him, and uh, and it was just a fascinating thing. And then that, and then like a couple years into it, after I kind of got started, I had that process. Well, now Kane came along, and so he was like there was like a three year gap, and then Kane showed up, and then now I had this like next kid that was kind of not the same though. Like Nathan was an athletic, like he he was like. You know, at 12 years old, he's six foot, 175 pounds, moves like a cat, like uh, unbelievable ability to learn. Like physical talent was incredible. And then Patrick is like knee high to a grasshopper. He's like really almost frail. Uh, All of his skill is through his mind and his hands. Like his hands were ridiculous. But like he's like stick handling the puck across the goal line. He's not shooting it. He's like dangling everybody. But it was all his mind. And I remember Bud telling me, he's like, now you got this kid. And he was in a a group of other kids too. So we had like four or five kids that were kind of like Kane and was that were in that age group that were all really good. 
And he's like, each one of these kids very like you're not going to see a Nathan Horton again, like in your life. You're never going to see a kid like that. These kids are different, but you got to adapt. You got to figure like it's going to be a different path to handle these guys. And you're going to have to engage them differently. And then that became the challenge. So Nathan was the first one in that group of kids that kind of were in that group that we spent a lot of time with. When I say a lot of time, I'm talking like we spent like 100 hours in a summer. Like it was like every day, like three, four hours a day, like all the time. And this kind of core group kind of stayed with them. So it was a significant amount of time we were spending with them. And uh, yeah, it was just like Nathan was the first one that opened my eyes. Cause, and, and imagine this kid being your your first one to have right. like he's like to be that talented that good and the things that he did it was an incredible challenge to have that as your first guy and it, it was that was the gift that ex- he he accelerated my development by years and years and years most people never get a chance to spend any time with a kid like that and they're in the game the whole life and he's my first one like that's the only break I ever got in my career that I didn't pay for in full in advance before I got it. That's the first thing. And I guess if you're going to have one, that's a pretty good one to get. That's a good one. What do you learn as a coach or a teacher when you're coaching kind of the the elite athletes like that, like the best of the best that can learn that quickly? Um, what, you, what you learn is that the real talent is the depth of skill. That's the real talent. And the a capacity to learn comes from the ability to leverage other skills to learn that quickly. So the difference between the elite player and an average player is the average player doesn't have the same, uh, same mastery over a certain skill set and they can't leverage any of those skills to acquire a new one. So every new one has to be taught almost like like you know you're gonna acquire it much slower because you don't have the ancillary skills that support it where an elite player they have so much depth of skills they have so many ancillary skills that you, they can learn it just so much faster that's what you learn like initially it's like oh my god like this guy was sent from god like this like what am i going to do to help this guy like he 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 just has it and it's like well no like you can influence that skill. You can influence that talent. It just has to be done differently in his acquisition. And so the other thing too is the one other, the big thing that you learn when you work with those types of players, and that's regardless of the age group, like not talking like NHL players, but like an elite, elite kid at a, at a younger age group, is that oftentimes they're bored. They're really bored. And so the, a lot of their skill comes from them messing around on their own. A lot of them are very self-driven and self-taught. And so that's an interesting dynamic because I filled, early on in my career, I filled a gap in the marketplace with these elite players because I was challenging them and giving them new things. And they like that. And so I became like almost like, you know, like the court jester, like I'm giving them like new stuff and making them laugh and getting them going. And, you know, that they needed that engagement because if you think about the way coaching, like coaching's evolved a ton, but you think like 20, 25 years ago, it was like, we need to fix our weakest link. 
That's where we need to fix. Like, if we're going to win, like, it's going to be our ninth forward. It's going to be our sixth defenseman. Like, we need to focus on those guys. And the practice was often dumbed down to the capacity of the weakest guy. So think about being, like, an elite player. And the gap between you and the weakest guy is so immense. And the whole practice is geared to make sure that the weakest guy can function. Hmm. How bored is the guy at the top going to be? Yeah. He's going to be right. bored out of his tier, out of his tree. And this right. is what happens. So then they start doing stuff on their own, and they have the ability to do that because their perception of speed, their depth of skill, they can try new things. Where the kid at the bottom, he can't. He can't try new things because the game's going a million miles an hour. Everything's so fast. He's just doing everything he can just to survive. So that was an interesting part that i learned early on and it it stays with you kind of all the way through to the nhl where a lot of these guys like particularly players in the nhl that are superstar players have been at the top for many many years they're looking for new ideas like they're just like you know we hear a lot of the same things all the time and i just like what do you see in me like what can i do like how can i get better like talk to me about me like what can i do Everyone tells me how great I am and how I can contribute and I'm helping everybody else, but I need you to like, give me an idea. And again, in my career, that was a, a gap I'm filling in the marketplace where guys are like, Hey, can you just watch me and tell me like, obviously like, there's, there's ways I can improve. I know it. I just don't know like what to look at. Like, can you tell me? And that became how that kind of, that whole thing kind of started. So that's what really struck me about watching you in action with these players was uh, I'll use Patrick Kane as the example because his drive at 30 years old to to get better was was apparent. Like we, we you know I'd get out there I'd show up at the rink and he was already on the ice and he's by himself working on something. And I know, you know, it's cliche to say first one off last, but like, this is the middle of August, right? And, he, you know, at the time he was coming off a huge season and, and he was, you know, and then we would, t I would see, you know, you're videotaping him with the iPad and he's really looking at working on something very specific. And I'm saying this guy's playing some of the, you know, in, in a sport where really you're probably going to play your best hockey at 22, 23. Um, we're going to look back at Patrick Kane. Those aren't going to be his best seasons. It's, it's this. 29 to 30 which is so um you know that's that's not usual no he's he's a guy that is like not atypical that's the interesting part so yeah. what i'm going to tell you is a bit of the norm of those elite guys is that there's a never-ending search now for what's next yeah. what's next for me what can i do um and they're trying to evolve and many of them have like unique skill sets that they can leverage so when you think of patrick kane the first thing you think of is like unbelievable like vision for example mm -hmm. amongst yeah. many things but how hard did he work on his shot how hard did he work and why why would he do such a thing well because he knew like i need in order from at some point everyone's going to adapt Everyone's going to adjust. The league is so well scaled, everyone's going to adjust. So now what? I need to have another way for my passing to still be at elite. So instead of working on becoming even better a passer, it's like I need more depth of skill. I need other things so that my passing can still be elite. It's that kind of thing. 
And every year there's a list and we formulate a list of things of like, here's windows of opportunity. These are areas of the ice that you're getting into that at a high frequency with a low level of success. Mm-hmm. Why? What can we do? And there's, it's never ending. There's always something and they love it. They love it. And, uh, and they're searching for it and now they're demanding it. And the challenge for me has always has been, I guess the first few are pretty easy, right? And then once you get going and you, you know, really understand the player and what they're trying to do and you've been with them for so many years, now it's like, okay, like what's next? And he's literally looking at me like, okay, like right. give me something. Like, come on now. Yeah. That's what like, that's what you're supposed to do. So I'm only as good as my next idea. Like I, if I don't right. have the right idea, you think he's gonna wait around? He ain't <laughs> right. waiting around. Right. He's looking, he's no. gonna look for somebody, anybody who has the next idea. So that's been a, a real challenge. So he's driven to, and it's not like, well, I got to be like the best player in the world or anything like that. It's not like that. It's a, it's an internal, personal drive to improve areas of their game that they know is going to translate into more success or better plays or make like we call it like opening up like a door to another room. Like they're looking mm-hmm. for those type of skills. Like, give me something that like is new that I can explore that opens up a new set of possibilities that maybe I was not able to access before because of my thinking, because of my thought process, uh, because of my other skills maybe get in the way. Let's open that up and then now I have multitude of ways in which I can get here. And then in, I can leverage my hockey sense to pick the right one. So what do you do? You're at an interesting point with some of these players that you've been working with for a while. Like I look at Patrick Kane and I look at a Sidney Crosby, let's say, and they're in completely different places than, you know, Austin Matthews or whoever. And at some point, and maybe it's not happening yet, but at some point you're no longer building skills. You're, you're trying to like their skating is not going to be as good as it was when they were 26. And, and maybe they're maybe they're not, their quickness goes, have you like? Have you tried to? Has that started to happen? Where you're like, okay, how do we adapt into our mid 30s as as superstar players? Yeah, I mean, like again, like you can't like when we talk about new skills. What you the one mis misconception I think about skills is that we always relate it to a physical skill, and the truth of the matter is, is a lot of those physical skills. Uh, while yes, they don't have like the same like he doesn't he may not have the same like, explosiveness at 33 that he had at 22, of course. However, right. how he uses that skill skill is what's interesting. So mm-hmm. how he uses that speed is how the, how he uses maybe changes speed or incorporates that. Well, that's a mental skill that works. That now you're talking about timing. You're talking about space management. You're talking about tactical acceleration you're talking about how to put other people off balance where maybe you never thought of that before because you didn't have to so there's an adaptation that goes on that starts in the mind and the one thing that i've come across over the last i would say 10 years or so is that you have to attach every skill that you're trying to impart even though even it's a physical skill it has to be engaged through the mind and so that's why like I can't work with anybody that I haven't studied because 
when I step on the ice with them, I can run them through a bunch of things to see like where their technical, you know, uh, physical skills are, where the limits are and where my areas of yeah. opportunity are. I can see all that. What I'm not going to know is how they think. I can only see that through the game video. How do they think? How do they make decisions? What influences their decisions? How do they utilize their skill sets? That is really important. And so there's like a cognitive attachment that has to go with every skill that you're trying to do. And you know, the, 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 all the best players, whenever we talk about skills, the first thing that they'll say is, okay, like, because I illustrate, like, here's an area that I think you'd be better at. This is uh, this is the situation in which I think it happens most frequently, and this is what the mm -hmm. success rate or non-success rate is, and where I think you can influence. And their first question is, okay, like, okay, that's great, but where else can we use that? Here's an idea I have. Mm. I th I look at that where you're trying to go, Daryl. I also see that over here, which I of course mm. have no idea. Like, I'm only thinking about what I'm seeing. Now we're having a conversation in which they've already they're like they're already three steps ahead of where that could be applied, how they could use that skill, and then we go through that deeper dive. So, the 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 adaptation of a player is never ending. It's career long. So players always learning no matter like what stage they're at it's just a matter of like yes at some times you're trying to add f actual physical skills and physical capacity and or you're and sometimes you're trying to add bridges like they could be very early on where they're like 15 16 17 they don't have the physical uh strength to be able to get access certain skill sets so now you're trying right. to build a bridge into of skill that they can do different things with using that that skill set but you're building this bridge in in the in the hopes that then when they build out the strength to go back to the, like the main thing you were focusing on well now they have that too so now they have the bridge Plus, they have the physical ability now, so that's at the bottom end, right? You're where you're working right. on that. You have to, hey, like, they don't have the strength. Now you get to the other end of the spectrum at the back end, and you're like, okay, well, now we have like an eroding physical skill, and the league's getting faster. So it might not even be right, that you're right. getting slower. The league is just getting yeah. faster. So how are you gonna how are you gonna adapt to all that and still be who you are? Because we can't just all of a sudden like take you on a whole different path. We got to right, right. So that that's the other thing. It's got to be authentic. So that becomes a challenge. But it's it's a it's in with every player, regardless of whether you're talking about the kid at the bottom who's trying to find his way in and has physical restrictions, or the kid at the at the end. It's a mind. It's the it's the cognitive piece. So that's why I get so aggravated. When I see so much of our work as an industry worked in isolation, we do things one thing at a time and the game, the mind is really not as engaged as it needs to be. And so the player, yes, building physical skill, you could argue, yeah, they're getting better at the toe drag and whatever else, but they don't really have a frame of reference of the multiple multitude of instances of which they could potentially use that in a game where it's restricted like how it feels based on spacing like they have no idea so that's what delays the process so that's why they need like a multitude of you know, of interactions with that skill and that can't just be in isolation looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Um, one of the things I found really interesting, maybe it's just the kind of the writer in me, but vocabulary and phrasing seems really important to you in terms of like labeling what something is. Does that make sense? Like what? Yeah. Even to the point where you're like, I'm not going to call it this. It's it's always going to be called that. What are some examples of that, and and why is it so important for you to like be so precise in vocabulary? Well, a lot of times it's not like you're. It's like initially, I would I would start with these like changes of vocabulary. So I relabel yeah. relabel something, and right. someone's like. Yeah, Daryl. Like, don't you just like just call it the same thing? Like what we normally call it. Like it has yeah. a name. It's been around for a thousand years. Like, what are you doing? Why are you reinventing something that doesn't need to be reinvented? And I'm like, because if you call it the same thing, and it's important to you. So let's say I'm trying to influence something that's really important to this player. Let's say, for example, like um, I want them to manipulate a check. So like you have the puck. You need to start manipulating. You can't just, you know, take this guy one-on-one like you normally do. This guy's really good now. You're going to have to put him off balance. you got to get him on the wrong foot. you got to turn his feet. you got to do all this stuff. So I, they say, Daryl, it's a one-on-one. Just tell him to go one-on-one. I'm like, no, he's got to manipulate the check. He's like, oh, you're getting all fancy. I'm like, no. Right. And, and, and yes, I am. And, and the reason why is because I'm trying to get a – specific definition that's personalized for that player or highlight a specific part of that one-on-one which has multitude of different ways in which you could do it i'm trying to highlight one aspect that is specific to either that group that i want them to influence that part of the development or so by changing the name or coming up with a different name or that it's much more specific or more pointed or creates an emotion in the player. Well, now I have way more engagement. And with a lot of players, particularly the really top end guys, they want to reinvent. So the more we can highlight certain aspects that will lead them down a path of their own personalization of that skill. And that's why vocabulary for me is everything. And I'm very cautious of what I use and if it's an important thing to that player I'm trying to try I'm trying to I'm trying to really influence how they think about it. So when I say it it doesn't just it's not just one on one when I say one on one to somebody yeah. like it's so general and so generic. Right. But when I say manipulate the check, well, it's actionable. What am I doing in this one-on-one? Well, you're manipulating the check. Okay, now that gives me an instant mental connection to what my purpose is in what it is that you're actually trying to teach me. Even though the truth of it all is, it's a one-on-one. <laughs> it is. Right. It's not. Right. I'm not hiding from that. You know, like yeah. or like attacking between two checks. What is that? Yeah, like it's. It, this whole thing has been done for a thousand years, but I'm saying, yeah, you're attacking between two, because it creates, it's always like a, an actionable item or an actionable phrase that creates a, a, a sense of purpose for that player that's going to improve decision-making. They're going to make quicker with what their response is. It's personalized in a lot of ways to, the, to them. 
and and so that makes it even more like appealing to them and and now we can really drive that thing home and then inside of it when they start coming up with other things a lot of times a lot of these terms come from the player they're like well yeah that reminds me of like all i'm doing there is just changing checks yeah that's what you're doing changing checks boom that's the new vocabulary for it that's what we're calling it and it's just a personal it's because you got to remember like player development is just that player one singular it's personal highly personal and so the more personalization that you have the more you're in player development coaching is group mm-hmm. it's not personal at all it's group right it's group it's group dynamic it's group contribution it's your contribution to a group initiative player development is singular personal very very different so that's why vocabulary can be a game changer and be and and when i say game changer i mean an accelerator to their development because it creates instant actionable purpose along those lines i i notice there's also labeling that goes on right so it's not just vocabulary it's in maybe that's a shortcut to to get to a point where the player knows what you're talking about but so so for example can you explain what the strong shot is or the cane push or both yeah. like i found that interesting so i'm working with uh i'm working with daniel sprong and i'm talking about a drag shot and my version of that drag shot what i had envisioned in my mind about how to teach him that skill and what i wanted it to do he was able to do that once we got through the process he was able to get all the way through that and then he his way he used his footwork opened up an entirely new set of possibilities which was no longer like he completely left now my like he took my idea of where i wanted to go mm-hmm. with this shot and he went like three steps to the left and i'm like let's go with that because right. your your expression of that skill is now beyond what I want. That's the new standard now. You've extended yeah. it. So now whenever I was referring to that, that that his shot, the way that he had done that, that became a core uh, starting point for me when I was working to reinvent other people's shots. I would mm-hmm. use that as now the new starting point. So I call it the sprong shot, and I got video on it. Of course, I got him scoring goals using it. I can you can clearly see his footwork, and then that became a okay. That's great. Now that player, whomever that is that I'm working with, they get going, and now they do something on top of that that's completely different. That personalizes it just because each person has their own assets, the own way that is is specific to them that you can leverage into that. So yeah. To be honest, it's a pull-in snapshot. That's what it is. Not the way this guy does it, though. And then the next guy does it a little bit different than that. And then, like, Kane Push was, is a really good example. I'm glad you brought this up. So Patrick, when he was younger, he was really small for his age. Like, I'm talking moving into body contact. So he's really small, undersized, had been dangling everybody for years. So, of course, you can imagine the excitement that all of our opponents had when they see this little guy come walking in the rink who was Mr. Dangler, who now 
we can play the body. Mm-hmm. Like, we're going to kill this kid. That's what's going to happen. Right. Like, all those times I got, like, my dad's yelling at me at the way home for not playing the body of this because this kid walked me for every time and scoring goals against me. Well, that ain't happening today. So what the cane push became was, listen, I could tell you to go against the boards and have these guys hit you. The problem is it's still going to hurt. Like, that's the truth of it. You can go against the boards. Yes, I can tell you. You're going to take the hit and it's going to spread out the impact across. I'm not telling you that's wrong. But I'm telling you, it's still going to hurt. And so I don't know if that's your best move. Why don't we use your ability to change speeds or your ability to understand space to now get in front of them so change the contacting so invite the guy on the contact line and then cut him off in front of him just go in front of him so rather than going away like running like a rabbit let's go right. into him and mm-hmm. not like a peter forsberg like jar him and knock his teeth out kind of hit like peter forsberg right, used to right. do yeah not that this is like you're just going into his hands so now, so we call that now like, you know, uh, putting your butt through the hands, right? Everybody teaches that. So what's the difference? Well, the cane push is once he's there, he invites a push from, from, the, uh, from the defender. And he's mm-hmm. ready for that push. And the guy pushes him into space. It's like propelling him. Yes, he pushes him in space. So what's the dynamic with that? Well, you have to engage your core because if the guy the guy is taller than you, so he's gonna push you in the back up by the shoulders because he's taller than you. So when he pushes you in the back, if he folds you forward, you're gonna do like a digger and your head's gonna go into the ice, right? Because he's pushing you down. So if you can push kind of pull your upper body back a little bit like into the guy, he push he's gonna throw you into space. Right. That's the cane push. Again, what is it? Everybody teaches putting the guy's butt through his hands. We're not reinventing anything. Like this is, everybody does it. What's different is Kane's expression. He gets there and he gets pushed into space. Now I'm like, okay, we got something here. So that becomes a new standard. It's not good enough now just to get in body position. That's the old way. The new way is this cane push. And it works pretty good for that guy. So how could it not work good for you? And by the way, you're like 6'2", you know, 200 pounds. So now when he pushes you, it's not the same like push you into space. It might push you into a turn. So you're changing mm-hmm. direction. Like Kane's changed the direction because he's, you know, at that time he's really small. Very easy for him to manipulate in smaller spaces. Like a little jitterbug. You, you're a little bigger, a little longer. It's harder for you to kind of turn tighter. Well, maybe this guy can help you. He By he pushing, he pushes you and he pushes you onto the proper edge work that's going to allow you to use your edge work then to accelerate rather than pushing you and you're resistant to this contact. We're going to go with it. And let's see where that goes. It's stuff like that. That's a great, those are great examples of a lot, like following the player's lead realizing the player is taking this further than what I had originally intended. I need to acknowledge that and see the benefits of that and encourage it as an, as an adaptation that he's going to use that's specific to him. And I'm going to put a new label on it so that now it's him. It's his, he was the inventor. Well, anybody that's any good loves that. 
Right. Well, and it was funny because I got to see a version of this play out um, in in uh, on the rink. You know, when I think it was um, Alex Tuck had scored yes. a couple of goals one handed, yes. right? And and I don't even know if you if if you were the one that kind of suggested players talk about it, but at some point. Couple players are on the ice and they're asking, "Hey, how did you do that?" And and then I'm watching you, them scrimmage and guys are trying the Alex Tuck one-handed shot. Oh, it, like, yeah. it was it was great to watch these guys interacting that way. Very much so. Like they and and then the questions became, "How could I do that, Daryl?" Like Alex Tuck is obviously right. like he's a very long, tall, but very long. His arms are really long. His legs are long. Like I'm not that guy. Like I don't have that body type. But man, like how he does that movement. Right. I could see myself using that in this situation. But how could I use it not being his height and not having those assets? Where would the puck go? He puts the puck here, but he can put the puck there because it's a mile away from everybody else. There's no way anybody could get it. I would have to protect it, but I could still use it in this way. And now they start talking through it. That's what they're doing. They're not like trying to steal (laughs) it from them as much as they're trying to say, that's I. They automatically know, in their mind, where in the game is that type of skill useful for me, and then they start problem. And then, you know, they start asking questions either to him directly, which in that case, that's why that camp is so good because I I get out of the way. Like I literally just bubble up questions and stand back and let them figure and listen to what they're talking about. Like that's the best part about that camp. But oftentimes it's me and the player by himself. And he might say, hey, like, you know, I see Kucherov shoot the puck this way. I think it's unbelievable. And the way that my game is, like, I I think, like, I get in those spots a lot. Like, how does he do that? And how would I use that? Like, I see what he does, but how is that fit for me? And then that becomes part of the quest of, like, adapting an idea, but making it your own. One of the other things along along those lines, it, again, it, it talks it's it talks to vocabulary or even assessing your own play. You share a story in the book about John Tavares and 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 how he basically refused to put a limit on you know on his skill expression was the phrase you used. Yeah, and you didn't realize at the time, like you you're like great job, and he was like, yeah, it was okay. Like what 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 did you learn about John and like in why why did that strike you? It's one of the most moment? powerful things I've ever been taught by anybody ever. Because I, up until I, up until that moment, I was going out of my way to celebrate all the little successes. So I have, you know, this player on a path of, you know, discovery for this skill. And it's going to be a while. Like we got to build some ancillary skills along the way. We got to add all this other stuff. There's a whole like feel. Then we got to like connect the mind to where the play should be. Then we got to talk about all these things, right? So it's a process, right? And, yeah. and there's lots of like little victories that happen along the way. Like the player all of a sudden moves more efficiently. They put the puck in a better spot which you know affects the way their upper body is moving which allows that to you know unlock this other piece that we're really working on so there's like in in any given skill you're trying to improve there's multitude of little victories that you're trying to celebrate so i would be like you know we do three reps we go look at it on the video i'm like oh you see this piece right here that's unbelievable you see this one over here awesome see this right here brilliant 
Right. And he's and I'm like, how did you feel about it? He's like, yeah, I think it was a little bit better. I'm like, what is with this guy? Are you serious? <laughs> like at first, I'm like, maybe that's just his personality. Like if you know John, right, like right. he's a very like he's so serious, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Like when he's in that environment, he's not serious in general, but he's got a serious. And I'm like, what is this? Like it's not, this is unbelievable. And it was really like he must he was with the Islanders. He was probably I probably worked with him for maybe two years. And just the way he used that phrasing was something I've never heard before. And so I asked him about it. I said, why do you do that? And he's like, I don't want to put any limits on this. Like, I don't know where this could go. Mm. And he's like, if I allow myself to think it was unbelievable or brilliant, like, where do I go from there? And he must have been like, I'm talking, he's like 20 at the time when he drops this on me. And I'm like, oh my God. And it changed the way I speak to the players forever after that. I don't talk, I'm, I'm very cautious with this, how I celebrate these victories, little victories along the way now. And some of them, frankly, are brilliant and unbelievable right. and oh my God. And I still like find myself saying that, but it's at a very different time in the process than what it used to be but that's what i mean like that's why like listening and asking questions is so important to the players like he's he's a kid like he's 20 years old and this is what he's coming up with because that's a reflection of his mindset it's brilliant all right we're we're almost out of time i so i'm not gonna i wanted to get into the whole anatoly tarasov stuff because i'm fascinated by that guy in in the three skill speeds we might have to save that the last thing I want to hit on um, is how the hockey is such a team game, right? And in and you, you know, you make this disti- distinction between you know you're coaching a team versus teaching individual players. Um, but you also say great players can bend the game to their assets. What does that mean, and what does that look like? Um, the best way I can describe it to you is like they have the best players have. Are the reason they're the best players is because they have an understanding or an expectation that the that because of their habits, they're going to get a multiple multiple opportunities to do similar things in a game. Okay. So, you know, if it's a defenseman, they know they're going to get five. They average five to seven retrievals a night. They know that you're a player, you know, uh, you're a winger, you know, you're going to get, you know, three or four opportunities on a delay. Yeah. You're a shooter, you know, uh, on the power play, for example, you're in your spot, you know, you're going to get three or four of these chances. So what, what bending the game is, is by trying to expand the number of lottery tickets that you're affording yourself in those situations. So because this is a high frequency event for you that leads to a high level of success, it would make sense that maybe you should try to find ways to do it more. And so bending the game is a is an understand a, a thorough understanding of what your assets are and what your highest frequency events are and what your success rates are in those things and then trying to find ways to get in those situations more frequently to get more lottery tickets. So the way I the way I try to describe it to the player is you want to be the fastest to 100. So 100 meaning 
percentage. That's the percentage, right. the number of times. So if your shooting percentage is 14%, like, but that, not 14, let's call it uh, 12%. Well, the more times you can get 100 instances of those, you're going to get 12 goals. So we need to get to the 100 faster because that gives us a chance next hundred and maybe another hundred. So I'm adding the number of possibilities in which this occurrence is going to happen. So then if I just, if I don't improve my shooting percentage at all, I'm improving my goals because I'm doing it more frequently. And so then if I'm affecting how that works, then now not only am I getting more opportunities, but then now I'm improving maybe my skill inside of those things. Well, now I'm better in those areas. So maybe from that, maybe I'm 12% overall, but I'm like 22% in this situation. Well, that's different. Right. I'm now, right. now I'm like, how can I, and then I, I work, I work on trying to say, how can I get like one or two more of these to go in uh, and then the player's like, yeah, how many can I, how many more of these can I do? So if I, if I was able to do it, let's say, one more time a game, that's mm-hmm. 82 more times a year. That's taken me a lot closer to 100. That's, if I was at 12%, yeah. I'm probably putting you at eight more goals, right? That's what that is. I'm looking at Patrick Kane's stats. In the year he scored 44 goals a couple two years ago, um, in the eighteen nineteen season, usually when you see something pop like that, guy goes from twenty seven to forty four. The next thing I look at is shooting percentage because yes. it's going to be nineteen. Right. Patrick Kane wasn't. No. It was twelve. He's a twelve point one career. He, he shot twelve point nine that year. Like nothing that would say okay, he doubled his goal output. Then you move a column over and it's shots. Yes. And he had three hundred forty one shots versus. 285 the year before, always living in the 280s. All of a sudden, he goes to 341. I have to assume that was intentional there. Of course. Yes. Of course. <laughs> you got to right, be faster right. to 100, Patrick. Come on now. Yes. Faster yes. to 100. And then what's the impact on that? So the best part about all that is, is that when you start bending your game, so it's a good example because now you say, okay, he's jumped up 44 goals. Great. Yeah. Uh, what do you think the impact of that was on the other plays he was able to make because now all of a sudden you know it's halfway through the season and he's got 25 goals and he doesn't normally have 25 goals until like you know three quarters of the way through the season like people are obviously going well wait a minute this guy might shoot the puck so now they play him a little bit different so what does that open up more opportunities to make passes to people who are in better spots for them to finish so the opportunity to make to use leverage the gains he's making in his shot by shooting it more he creates himself as a dual threat which then opens up his real asset which is his passing and vision Mm. you see what i mean so a lot of times you're doing those kinds of things it's like yeah you we need to shoot more because listen like at those times in his career, it was like, I need to win a scoring title at some point. Like, I, I, at some, I feel like I have that ability and it would be good for my team to have the ability to do that. Like, I could, like, that's a huge deal. And I have the ability. So what is that? Okay, so let's look at anybody who's won a scoring title. Well, I don't see anybody winning a scoring title with 25 goals. I just haven't seen that. It, the pathway has to be 40. You're going to have to score 40 goals to win a scoring title. Okay, so how am I going to do that? Well, you probably should shoot more. Like, there's one. 
And but where? Okay, or how? Like what situations should we shoot more, and what are those percentages? And that's and then what's the impact on that on how it's going to play out for other people? And that's what's what that's what bending the game is. It's taking your assets and figuring out how you can get faster to a hundred, and also be able to predict what that improvement of the race to 100 is going to be on other instances that you have in your game like what other impact what's the fallout going to be for that change and how can we capitalize on that as well well daryl we we just scratched the surface i mean we didn't even just scratch the surface of what's in in this book the book is belfry hockey strategies to teach the world's best athletes it is available everywhere if you find this stuff interesting, you want to get better, you want to help others get better, I strongly recommend it. Daryl, thanks for doing this. My pleasure. Thanks again for having me on, and uh, let's hope it's not two more years before we talk again. <laughs> but I said you, that. I think I said, that, think I said that the last time, and here we are. So we'll see. We'll let this digest well, looking, and see, if, yeah. see where we go from there. That sounds good. i got to get back down to Florida. Yes. Someday. So do I. <laughs> Thanks, man. Right. I want to thank Daryl Belfry for joining the podcast. I love talking to Daryl. I always feel like I learned something. I always do. I don't just feel like it. I always learn something when we chat. Again, the book is Belfry Hockey, Strategies to Teach the World's Best Athletes, forward by Patrick Kane, of course. They are, they, they are very close. And Scott Powers of The Athletic Chicago is the co-author there. Check out that book. And speaking of Patrick Kane and Scott Powers... Patrick Kane is the guest this week on the Laz and Powers podcast. So I, I would encourage you to check that out. They also had Jeremy Colladin on early. Laz and Powers are doing some work on the podcast. So you don't have to be a Blackhawks fan to appreciate that podcast. Lots of entertaining listens there. So check out their podcast. Also, don't forget, if, you're, if you aren't a subscriber to The Athletic, subscribe now and save. If you go to theathletic.com slash full 60 you can receive an all-access subscription for just $1 a week. And also, on the app, we have a comment section for each podcast. Uh, I really appreciate the uh, feedback we got on the Doc Emmerich pod. It was People seemed to really... I was getting emails and Twitter and the comments on the app. And I jumped in and responded to you. I love to get the feedback, especially when you like the guests and you enjoy the conversation. So I appreciate those of you guys who left comments there. And if you, again aren't a subscriber go to theathletic.com slash full 60 to get an all-access subscription to the athletic for one dollar a week all right that's it thanks again to daryl for joining the podcast thank you for listening and have a great week